Dotnet Rocks episode 605 with guest Rocky Latka, recorded live Monday, June 28th, 2010. This episode is brought to you by Telerik, by Haystack, and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here's Carl and Richard. Hey, this is Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell. We're here doing the last show of the .NET Rocks Live weekend, and we're talking to Mr. Rocky Lotka. Hey, Rocky. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. How are you? I'm doing great. Well, we have spent the whole weekend talking about every possible permutation of every possible .NET technology, and every issue that we can possibly think of. So uh, I don't even know where to start, Richard. <laughs> I just want to talk to Rocky about, you know, Minnesota or something. Nah, you know what? Rocky knows a lot about Silverlight. He's a he Silverlight does. fan. Not only does he know a lot about Silverlight, but he knows a lot about systems in general. And I'm sure you've got some opinions on the Windows Phone 7 and uh, HTML5 and what have been our other topics hot topics this uh this weekend we've talked about a little bit about microsoft and their uh what is it the 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 counter lawsuit from uh, salesforce salesforce yeah we talked a little bit about patents yeah we've been all over the map we've been all over the map silverlight and does is silverlight going to work on the phone man i just don't know where to start rocky maybe yeah. you could p- just pick something what's what's what are you thinking about these days? So, so everything that that can be said has been said. Is that uh... no, no, no? But we, <laughs> I'm sure you'll bring some fresh perspective to these topics. Well, I think that certainly the topics you just listed are are key things that I'm giving a lot of thought to. Um, as you mentioned, I'm uh, a big fan of Silverlight, and I've put a lot of time and energy into Silverlight. And I think it's very exciting and very cool. At the same time, I think that Microsoft is smart in hedging their bets by supporting HTML5. Um, and and that, that's actually how I view it. I'm sure that's not politically correct. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's pretty close to what I'm feeling too. But it, but it seems to me like, well, and, it, and and you can't go wrong because there's always going to be some set of web development that where Silverlight isn't appropriate for some reason or other. Um, you know, things like needing to run on the iPad or other closed environments like that. And so then HTML becomes a big deal. But even then, HTML5 seems a little dicey in that it won't be a common denominator for years, you know, just based on the way that HTML's evolved over the years. So I'm still really hopeful that um, Silverlight catches on and people get excited about Silverlight the way I am. Um, well, and it does seem like it is catching on, that, that we're seeing more apps built that way. And you can't argue with Silverlight 4's ability to go in and out of the browser and now on WinPhone 7. And that's finally three screens. Well, it's certainly a... not, not just Windows Phone, but also the uh, um, Windows Embedded platforms, right? Right, of course. Well, and I think it's one of the questions we've had floating around, which I don't think we've actually had answered, is 
whether or not the mobile team is just going to make Silverlight a standard development tool for all of the embedded stuff so that uh, we they can, everybody, you know, if you're built, doesn't matter whether you're building a barcode scanner, or an RFID reader or anything, you should be able to work in Silverlight. Yeah, and I think that, you know, for all that arguably there's not a, you know, you know, Microsoft has never been great at the cross-platform story. Right. Um, but Silverlight, you know, by far is, is the most cross-platform that we've seen, other than maybe some old C++ compilers from the 90s or something. Yeah. Well, but, and Tim here was talking about the fact that, that Microsoft's committed to putting Silverlight on a set-top box for Motorola, which is, that's pretty cool. You know, we're starting to see yep. this showing up more places. Yeah, I think, and then that's where... Like you said, the three screens, right? If we get PCs, Macs, you know, your your average browser-based and PC-based world, and then you get phones, and then you get smaller dedicated devices like set-top boxes, um, hopefully um, either Microsoft or, or hardware vendors come up with a nice, uh, compelling tablet story um, around Windows. But really, I would hope that the, any story there would be centered on Silverlight, too. Rocky, um, what's the story with Silverlight 4 and Com Interop? My understanding, and, and having not spent the time to go try it, my understanding is that if you're running out of browser and you check the uh, full trust box, that you can do Com Interop. Now, do Com Interop, that's quite a, quite a lot of exposure. Do, does that mean any Com object? That can be created on the machine. Well, and that's where I'm going to become somewhat skeptical. <laughs> again, yeah, I'm a bit skeptical myself because all yeah. I really need to do to to have any kind of access to anything is write a .NET uh, object and wrap it in a com callable wrapper. Well, and that part I suspect will work. Um, I, I think that my understanding again is that Microsoft's primary target with that was Office. But well, yeah. you know, and if you think back into the murky days of com, or the, or I suppose some people would view them as the glittering golden days of com. <laughs> well, Don Boxwood, anyway. Yeah. Um, but I'll stick with murky. Um, there were really two kinds of com, right? There was the VB kind that Office and VB had, right? And then there was the rest of it that you could do all sorts of really interesting slash weird stuff with C plus plus. My guess is that. It's only the office-friendly VB style right. com that that you can use, but yeah, you know, that's most of it. That's most of it. I mean, and you know the the fact is is that if I've got something that Silverlight doesn't support, um, I can maybe wrap it up in a com object. Now, the the things I've done a little research on this, they also say they throw around the word p invoke too, and. I have never seen I have I looked everywhere Rocky. I couldn't find one single example of calling the Windows API from Silverlight. Yeah, I have, I have not seen any. But I've I've seen that term, you know, p invoke. But you know, I at least for my part I can't remember the last time I did a p invoke in .net. <laughs> well, actually I so, I have a I have something that I want to do with that I can only do with uh, with a com object and only do with a with a, a win a, with an API call. Could I remember it? What it is for the life of me now? After talking for <laughs> ninety four hours straight or however many hours seventy two hours? No, 
but um, I did. I do remember going looking for any kind of demo or any kind of thing that definitely said it was possible, and I couldn't find anything. But um, then there, the other thing that I remember seeing was, well, the com object has to exist already on the system, but why couldn't I write some sort of, you know, click once installer for the com object and then, you know, and again, you know, if I'm using a com object, I'm locking myself down to Windows. I understand that, but I could make some sort of call out to, uh, you know, to register the com object. I'm just wondering if there's a really graceful, elegant way to just simply include com objects with your Silverlight application and make it work. No, I don't think so. I, I think you've got to have some installer um, one yeah. way or another to get them out there. And I don't know that click once is a great answer because of the com registration requirements. Oh, I remember what it was now. It was a uh, library that did on-the-fly MP3 encoding. It was like, because you don't get access to the codex in Silverlight. I can't... You know, so can't. that's interesting because a, f a few months ago I did an informal poll inside of Magenic um, of, as to how many uh, people you do, basically how many people step outside of .NET. Yeah. You'd have to do p-invokes or com intera you know, interaction. And it was a pretty small percentage yeah. um, of our overall consulting base and the reasons primarily, well, the single biggest reason was Office. The second biggest reason, and it was a very close second, was to deal with legacy uh, DLLs that have existed. You know, some client has had right. uh, a DLL for the last 20 years, and they're not going to update it because they never have. <laughs> and But yet they still need it. So then you've got a P-Invoke scenario. And that's exactly my scenario. There's this, there, there aren't, really any that man there is no managed code mp3 encoder on the internet as far as i can tell and and i spent hours and hours and hours looking for one but there is uh there there are you know uh things that have been converted and uh ported and are available as com objects so you'd have to first run some sort of click once application to install the com object and then you could run the Silverlight thing. And the reason I was thinking of that was to be able to, it, wouldn't it be great to just be able to have a um, uh, a Silverlight application come up when you want to send a message to somebody and just push to talk, you know, push a button to talk or maybe even record your webcam or whatever and then just fire that all off to somebody, you know, capture it and fire it off. Now, guys, I've, uh, I remember Brian always telling us that Silverlight 4 doesn't have full trust. It has elevated trust. Yeah, it is elevated trust. So I've gone to the docs now off the silverlight.net site, and this is what it says. In trust mode, in the elevated trust mode, you can read and write to a user's My Documents, My Music, My Pictures, and My Videos folder. And you can run desktop programs, including Office. For example, you're requesting Outlook to send an email or send a report to Word or Data to Excel. You could do COM automation to enable access to devices and other system capabilities by calling into application components, for instance, accessing a USB security card reader. Uh, some group policies can be configured to support with elevated trust, better keyboard support, enhancements to network networking so you don't need policy files, and some custom chroming 
So yeah, it's elevated trust. It's not full. There's no way there's P invoke in this. Yeah, I didn't think I, so. I don't see that. I mean, you just look at the P description here. Is essentially full trust. Yeah, that's what I think. P invoke is full trust. And this so is, is com this, access for that well, matter. Well, you know, I like the way well, that a, Rocky clear, described it. It's a clear gateway, though, right? Yeah. If you want to create a com component that wraps your uh, MP3 encoder, yeah, you should be able to do that. You should that. be able to invoke it. You just got to get that com component onto the destination machine. Right. And that will be the tricky bit. Well, I think a you know a click once app would do that. Yep. But pretty easily click here and then it's done. You know, pretty easily installation. But well, it's but all... yeah. So so with the webcam support in Silverlight four, you do have access to the raw data. Like you can get the raw audio data yep. and you can get the raw video data. Just have you ever seen an uncompressed AVI file? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It doesn't. It's not exactly internet friendly. <laughs> it's not exactly hard drive friendly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, especially if you've got one of these, you know, smaller SSD hard drive. Now, you'll fill that up right quick. Yeah. So. No time at all. But I wonder if this isn't just a temporary issue because you've already we're seeing uh, 3D gaming engines and other interesting, uh, yeah, you know, pretty intensive things that are getting ported or written into Silverlight. Mm-hmm. And yep. so I, I got to believe, at least for um, you know, barring licensing issues, that it's just a matter of time before we start to see a lot of other things like codecs. I think in. you're right. And and I'm I'm actually pretty sure based on some, you know, when you have conversations with people from Microsoft and they say, now, I'm not saying anything, but Microsoft would be, it would be probably a pretty good idea for them to do that. Don't you think? <laughs> You know, so I'm 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 pretty confident that that's coming. I can't think of a good reason why they wouldn't give you access to that. Sure. Especially if they've got webcam support and all you can do is show it, you know. So I can see myself. They want to install a mirror, you know. You could do that. Silverlight does mirrors. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote a mirror application. With, with, with video distortion effects. Yeah. There you go. I need a mirror. I can't find one. Let me run this app. <laughs> Uh, Rocky, any playing around with the Windows Phone 7 emulator? Because I know you don't have a phone. I wish I had a phone. Nobody has a phone. But nobody has a phone. Yeah. So um, I've played around a little bit with the emulator. I've been, uh, I'm just kind of biding my time. I'm I'm working on getting uh, CSLA 4 wrapped up. Nice. And uh, that'll be within the next couple, three weeks. And then um, the next high priority for me is actually to get a CSLA working on the phone. So actually getting the uh, the classes running on the phone? Absolutely. Wow. And it looks like it should work with relative, uh, you know, there's a few Silverlight-specific or desktop Silverlight-specific, uh, especially UI widget things I've got. That right. Have no, they just don't translate. But most of it is just going to work from what I can see. This makes me happy. It makes me happy when Rocky Lockett takes on a technology. It's like one of the best validations I could hope for. If Rocky likes it, it must be good. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm psyched. I, I think from a technology perspective, it's, it's just all happiness. Yeah, it's pretty um, exciting. From a business perspective, it's interesting because, um, you know, why do people create phone apps? You know, they, they create phone apps, most people anyway, to, to reach a wide audience, much yes. like the web. And so, you know, the Windows phone is very compelling from 
my perspective as a developer. But if I'm a business person, I think I'm. It's going to be one player among many for some time to come. Yeah. Well, and it's just yeah, the. I like the idea of CSLA being added to that equation because now you can just extend that app onto the phone as well. I think that we've been waiting for a really great smartphone solution to make uh, our enterprise apps just be part of the equation. Windows Mobile up till now has been way too hard. And heaven forbid you try and do it with an iPhone. I hear enterprise developers screaming from here. You know, this is, there has not been a good solution. And this is, if it actually works the way it's supposed to, is a stunning solution. Yes. I think Microsoft needs to come up with a, uh, a compelling enterprise deployment story. Yeah. You know, so if I build a, uh, a really cool app, and, and, and inside of Magenic, we've talked about this, too, mm-hmm. that we could have some really nice apps even for our own consumption. Yep. You know, ma- managing uh, consulting schedules and, and workloads and a variety of sure. things. Sure. Yeah. And Workflow, especially, you know, having to get OKs and, um, you know, approvals, I can imagine, being really, really cool. Absolutely. In the phone, and, you know, you're in a meeting. The little thing pops up, click yes or no, okay. Well, and a lot of this is, of course, done through Outlook now. <laughs> and, you know, could, but it could be automated in some really interesting ways. Um, and, but it, it, that, that's predicated on being able to do some sort of enterprise deployment so right. that only Magenic people get this thing. Yeah. Or, you know. I got to hope that Microsoft's, you know, not going to do what Apple did and leave them in a lurch for years. It's it's also not their way. I mean, they generally are pretty good to the enterprise. And this is not a hard problem. This is just not a hard problem. An implementation of ClickOnce that runs on the phone so that I can deploy a ClickOnce server with an app on it would be all I'd need. Yep. But I don't honestly expect to see it in the first release either. Um, I, I really suspect that we'll, whatever kind of answer um, comes for this problem will I, we'll probably be on in next year or something. Yeah, I just yeah, I know they've been totally consumer centric up till now, but the enterprise story is pretty darn compelling. Mm-hmm. So I I just hope they don't ignore us for very long. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. We've been blown away by the uptake and the quick adoption of Silverlight. It's no secret though that the platform didn't provide for consistent integration with the web analytics services. Well, not anymore. As you might have already heard, Microsoft announced its Silverlight Analytics Framework, which solves the above-mentioned problem. But what's also interesting is that Telerik already provides support for the framework. Telerik's the first UI components vendor to offer handlers for the Silverlight Analytics Framework. Using RAD controls for Silverlight, you can immediately benefit from the advantages of the platform and start tracking the statistics of your applications. You can read details and download the handlers at Telerik.com slash Silverlight. And hey, don't forget to thank Telerik for supporting .NET Rocks on their Facebook fan page, Facebook.com slash Telerik. What would be really cool is if, you know, I can I can see deployment being pushed all the way to the phone from uh you know from a from a server where the apps just install themselves yeah. in your enterprise. I mean if you're truly using the phone for work. Then, why well, it not? does seem like like a variation on on the marketplace, except that it would almost you know, it'd be some certificate protected server that that your company would put up, mm-hmm. and whatever is on the server would automatically roll out to everybody's phones. 
Right. So you just wake up in the morning or whatever, there's a new app on your phone. Actually, go to lunch, you know. Yeah. It, it, that have seems a donut. like the kind of story you'd want to have. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you updates could, too. You could make that pretty painless if you just had the ability to join a domain, which, I mean, mobile 6.5 phones can join a domain. Hmm. I don't know True. if what mobile 7 ones can. I've never asked that question. Hmm. Can I join it to a domain? Because the moment hmm. I had to join to a domain, you pretty much need all the, got all the credentials you need to say, yeah, this is one of my phones. Go ahead and install the app. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, what else? What do we got to do? CSLA 4. So you've rewritten everything in VB.net? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, nice. C Sharp clearly is not going anywhere. <laughs> That's a fad. It's yeah. just a passing thing. <sighs> no, sadly, the uh, the VB version of CSLA has uh, went away a couple of years ago. Yes. And, nope. uh, so. what, what do you mean by that? I thought you were offering compiled DLLs here. Well, that's true. I'm not saying that it doesn't work with VB applications. I'm saying that I no longer maintain the source code twice. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I don't think that's a deal breaker for anybody, yeah. really. No. Yeah. If if that's a deal breaker, then they have to give up .NET because most of it's written in C Sharp. Too. Yeah. So no, it, it's I know it's frustrating for people that um, use the CSLA source code base as a learning tool. Yep. And I, I fully appreciate, the, you know, the the loss there. But at the same time, um, it was a lot of work to maintain everything twice. Yeah. And then when Silverlight came along with the uh, all of its async behaviors, the um, language feature called multi-line lambdas that was in C sharp and not in VB, um, that that was a deal breaker for you. For me, yeah. Because the the amount of code to you know, to write something in C sharp is easy, and the amount of code to do the same thing in VB was you know several times more lines of code. Wow! Now VB ten um, adds that feature, so, right? Mm. So now we're back where I technically I could go back and do it. Oh boy, you get to catch up! <laughs> yeah, but you had I nothing really else to do. Want a, you know, two years worth of effort. I'd <laughs> rather I'd rather you concentrate on features for the phone. Yeah, yeah, me, me too. <laughs> <laughs> now, is the version number is actually in sync with the .NET release? Is that how we end up at CSLA four? That's correct. How about that? He's so organized. Everybody's all foured out. They're all lined up on four. Yep. Yeah. So, is this really the build that's all about .NET four and Studio twenty ten? Yes. Brilliant. So, I gotta ask, like, what are big changes? Like, what did you find moving up to the new tools? Well, believe it or not, there are very few um, changes in CSLA that were forced by .NET this time. Right. Uh, .NET 2 gave us generics, and that was a huge change Yeah. for CSLA. Uh, .NET 3 gave us WPF and WCF, and so that was a really big change. Um, I mean, deeper than you would at first think, because the data binding in XAML is different from Windows Forms. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 3.5 gives us the entity framework, um, and and then somewhere in here we get ASPMVC. Um, but a lot of those changes already existed to some degree. Um, Silverlight was a couple of years ago now. You know, all of these were were things that were were Microsoft changed things that forced me to do pretty radical stuff. Right. This time around. Um, a lot of the bigger changes are driven 
based on uh, CSLA users giving me feedback about what they wished that it would do. Oh, I see. Hmm. And so there are some really substantial changes, but they're um, like extending the uh, or, or replacing the business rule engine oh. to be much, much more powerful and uh, um, and simpler, both. Um, and the same with the uh, authorization engine. So it's possible to do a lot of things like... Um, uh, shared tenant hosting that, that were pretty difficult, if not impossible, before. So there's some nice new scenarios, but again, they have less to do with uh, you know, .NET technology changes than they do with uh, what people have been asking for. So have you actually moved everything in CSLA up to the .NET 4 framework, or are you using the side-by-side execution? Um. No, everything is .NET 4 or Silverlight 4. Nice. Yep. And it just worked. Um, the, the .NET part almost just worked. Um, mm. a, basically, you can almost take 3.8 and compile it into 4 and it, and it with minor tweaks. Silverlight was a little bit harder um, because they changed some of the ways that WCF reads its configuration. Oh, I see. In ways that honestly make no sense to me. <laughs> wow. But, you know, you, you just deal with the cards you're dealt, right? Right. It's not like it actually broke anything, or, you know, it was actually damaging. It's just different and yeah. not necessarily better. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, my, my app doesn't run now that I went to Silverlight 4. <laughs> I don't know why. Oh, I, I'll tweak the, uh, my config file doesn't look like the new kind. Oh. Well, yeah, um, you know, that's what so much of development is now. We don't, so many, so many times we don't know what the real problem is. Why they changed it. We thing. don't care. We you yeah. just know that doing this makes it, make, gives us happy noises. It makes it work yeah. again. It's, that's right. What did you do? Hell if I know. <laughs> well, so many people, including me, run on, you know, different kinds of deadlines. Right. And when you do have time to research it, sometimes it's fun to know, but. Sometimes you just do what you, whatever you got to do to make it work, too. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like this is one of those times. Just a new configuration format, redesigned to it, it works. Yep. Yep. So, but but it is kind of, uh, you know, it's a, overall it's a nice story because CSLA is a pretty big code base. And, being, and, and of course, it's complex because it goes very deep. Right. Um, it, in its use of... Uh, reflection, dynamic types, a whole bunch of things. And um, so the fact that it upgraded as smoothly as it did is pretty nice. And of yeah. course, I was doing the upgrades back before it was, before .NET 4 and Visual Studio were released. Right. And so that didn't help either. Yeah, you know, playing with beta bits. <laughs> to, to be fair to Microsoft, yeah, if, if I'm... Doing, if I'm running into snafus because I'm using beta bits, that's not really their problem. Is no, it? it's not their fault. Well, it only makes sense. Any any other hints and tricks, things you ran into? Of course, yeah, I'm thinking, you know, if you had trouble going from Silverlight 3 to Silverlight 4, let's go compare that to going from really Studio 9 to Studio 10. You know, there's much more mature products. And this yeah. is actually what the sixth or seventh version of .NET. Well, yeah, if you count all of the point releases, which yep. I think you should. And I think you should. <laughs> then yes, it's it's you know it's a .NET itself is very mature. Mm-hmm. Um, Visual Studio um, has had a number of releases, and 
of course, this was a big one, right? Yeah. Because they changed so much of the actual tool to run on WPF. Yes. So, um, you know, 2008, in comparison, seems like a much smaller shift. Very minor in comparison, without a doubt. Rocky, do did I remember correctly that you have a radio show? Uh, no, I don't. Well, what am I thinking of then? I mean, I know that you're you're into radio. Oh, you listen. Maybe it's that you're listening to a radio show. That, that's true. I I love radio plays. That's it. Radio dramas. That's yep. what I remember. So where in, in what uh, what was the the program that you told us about once? Well, that, the one that I was I think I was telling you about is uh, something called The Adventures of Ruby. Yes, yes, it's all which is back by to ZBS Productions out of Boston. And yeah. is Ruby a girl or is Ruby a programming language? Ah, Ruby is a girl. Ah-ha-ha. Ruby is a galactic gumshoe. Nice. Nice. And, uh, yeah, there's, Ruby, there's I think they're, they're probably up to Ruby 6 or 6.5 now. Wow. And uh, Ruby 1, 1 and 3 are, the, are my favorites. So would you rather listen to radio drama than read a book? love to read though so that's a tough one yeah um no i think i prefer reading but a well-done radio drama is really hard to turn down yeah I, i've got a, almost i think maybe all the shadows are close um i've got a lot of the dragnets um all, all the rubies classics we, we've got quite a collection of um, the shadow did i already say that mm-hmm. yeah yeah um so a lot of uh We've got quite a collection of radio plays around our house. <laughs> Who My knows what lurks in the fanatic? He listens to them almost constantly. Theater of the mind. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. That's good stuff. So, um, I, the reason I asked is because you know the this whole weekend was an experiment in really in radio, and what we we've, we've never done the whole live thing as much as. You know, or, uh, as much as people think we do, we, when somebody tells me, what do you do? And I say, internet radio. Oh, that's when is your show on? Well, oh, it's always on, you yep. know, whenever you yeah, want it, true. whenever you want it, really. But um, but we I really love the idea of being live and having people listening and partaking and sharing in that experience. There's a there's a special community that that can happen. And and video doesn't do it. You know, it's, no, it's not the same. It's not the same. This weekend, in fact, I think in uh, three days, um, here in Minneapolis, there's a science fiction convention called Convergence. Oh, yeah. And it opens with the um, uh, Mark Time Radio Awards and a live hour-long radio drama that's performed, literally performed on stage in front of the uh, the audience. Cool. And, you know, they do the Foley, they do the voices, everything is done completely live and broadcast over actual airwaves. Yeah, far out. <laughs> um, uh, right right as it goes, which is really amazing and fun. Well, and Garrison Keillor's from St. Paul, too. That's not too far from you, I'm sure. Right. Yep. I've seen him speak or, or do his show. Yeah, you've been out to see it? Yep. That's, yeah. that's a blast, because they... Yep. Yeah, it's as fun in person or more than than what it sounds like on the radio. Yeah, I've seen it a couple of times. It really is fun because they're so deadpan mm-hmm. when they do their thing. You know, they're 
especially the sound effects guys. And just last week, I got to go see a uh, a live recording of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Oh, wow. No, you went to one of those? Yep, they came to Minneapolis. Awesome. Oh, wow. And uh, talk about fun. I mean, that, that really is more fun in person because they record over 90 minutes of content and then edit it back to fit it into their program slot. Wow, yeah. So there's a lot, there's a more. lot more jokes and a lot more laughter than... than what you get on the radio. <laughs> so when they so they're not broadcasting live when they're doing their show on it on the radio then. No, they are not. They they uh they record the shows um this was on a Thursday for the Saturday broadcast. Wow, okay. Just like us. Yeah. Just yeah, just like you except in front of a few hundred people. Right. Right. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's like our live shows at at the conferences, right. you know. It, it is a similar format. Have you ever heard the Moth Radio Hour? Oh, you'd love this. So it, it started at a place called The Moth, I think, and that's why they call it The Moth Radio Hour. But the whole idea is that people who aren't professional storytellers but who can tell stories, you know, kind of like Mr. Campbell. You know, he's he's got a great voice and he, he could tell you a story. He could be talking about anything and you'd be enamored. And uh, they get up in front of an audience and they tell a, a true story. It has to be a true story. And, um, you get people, you get cops. There was a cop on the other night talking about how he chased down, uh, or he got a, what was it? He, he had a police description, like a sketch, a police sketch of a criminal who robbed a bank and driving by some place. They saw this guy who was the guy. They saw this guy and they chased him and they cornered him. And the guy started, he like fell down into a ball and, and started crying. He thought that he, see, he was dating some girl who was married to some mobster. And he thought that these guys, these cops who were coming to get him were like the goombas that the husband sent to, to rub him out. Wow. <laughs> so it, it's a, you know, it's a, like an interesting story because they thought he was a bank robber. Turns out he wasn't. And he thought, these guys who looked like the they could have been mobsters, you know? right? And and it's told by a cop with a New York accent, you know. <laughs> and the guy's never told a story in front of people, and you know, on a stage in his life, and he's talking and and just great stuff, like really, really good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I highly recommend it. The Moth Radio Hour, and I'm sure you can find it on if you just Google it, you'll find podcasts. Moth Nothing like Radio a good Hour. story, though. Yep, gotta get, love a good story. Should we talk a little tech? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. Nate. I'm just a little burned out. I'm with you, man. Last show. Stay with me, man. All right, I'm with you. Eyes on the prize. <laughs> Rocky Lock. I'm ready to jam. There That's you go. I'm, You're ready to play, I'm I can ready tell. To play. Hey, are you really taking a look at any of the new features of Studio 2010 in the context of CSLA? And the one that jumps out to me is F Sharp. Like, are, Ooh. Have you looked at pieces of CSLA and said, could this better be done functional? Ooh. I have question. not. <laughs> well, thanks very much for your answer. You're, you're, you're welcome. But it is <laughs> a good question. And, and, and now you know, some, some percentage of the world hates me because yeah. they're like, well, how can he have not looked at F-sharp? Rocky, what are you thinking? But I, you know, I think uh, that some of the things that, that functional programming offers are, are truly compelling, and I right. don't mean to be dismissive of them at all. And at the same time... Um, I have a lot of work to do. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, uh, in terms of return, that's a that's a much tougher bet than say making it work on the phone. Yep, exactly. Making yeah. work on the phone is something that I, I could clearly see the end game for you. There might be a couple of gotchas in there somewhere. It all depends on what's implemented, but pretty sure that's going to work. Well, not only is it going to work, but I'm pretty sure it's going to make a bunch of people happy. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by the Haystack Code Generator for .NET, code generation on steroids. Want more control over your code gen? Want your code generator to give you Silverlight 4, WPF, and ASP.NET CRUD screens? The Haystack Code Generator for .NET will generate entity, data, and business rule classes for all your SQL Server and Oracle tables, views, and store procedures. Haystack generates ASP.NET, WPF, and Silverlight user controls, view model classes, and WCF service layer classes for true end-tier applications. Check out CodeHaystack.com, download the user manual, and watch the videos for more information on this great product. They host a live webcast every two weeks. You can sign up at pdsa.com slash webcasts and see how Haystack will shorten your development cycle. Well, Richard, were you thinking of any particular features in of CSLA that would be better off functional? I really wasn't. You know, it, and honestly, it's selfish of me. It comes back to the same old thing. If Rocky finds a way to use F-sharp effectively mm. at CSLA, A, huge endorsement of F-sharp. Well, yeah, I mean, and that B, would be a huge. staggering sample. Yeah. You know, staggeringly <laughs> good sample. Right. And that's, that's again, completely the thing, selfish act well, on well, my because part. Because the thing we've been talking with all these F-sharp people about is, you know, when is it appropriate to use this in the yes. context of a regular business application? And, you know, we've had a few, we've had a few people come in and say, or get on the show and say, you can use it anywhere. You can create a complete business app. And most people are sort of dismissive of that notion now and pretty much come to the conclusion that it's the hybrid mode. You, yeah. you build your business application in C sharp, VBnet or whatever. And then where you have these islands of functionalness. You want to uh, – Let's call it islands of feng shui. Feng shui. I like that. Funky islands. (laughs) Give us the funk. Right. You build your routines in F-sharp, compile them into a separate assembly, and and then call them. And and that's where I would think would be potentially interesting is you start thinking about these – you know, the hierarchy of objects that the CSLA gets into when you start mm. doing complex validation and, and uh, rules around taxation and stuff. I mean, that's all pretty cool stuff, and I'm wondering mm. if it would be better served functionally. Well, and, and it's possible, and that's... Something to think about. Well, it, and it's possible, too, that you can just do it today um, because, of the, because of the way that I rewrote the business rules engine in uh, CSLA 4. Right. Rules are now typed. Whereas before they weren't, I was using uh, delegates to static methods as a memory optimization, which was, I think, really not a bad idea, but it precluded the use of um, external types, inheritance, all sorts of good object-oriented constructs, right? But I suspect, well, one of the reasons that I made the change I did was because I want to be able to invoke external rule engines. Right such as Windows Workflow or, or whatever you might have. Ah, interesting. So and it, so you could, I, I think, say, you know what, I, I want to invoke an F-sharp um, component that point. You know, implements my rule or, or all my rules. Um, it, 
Yeah, you've already created an extensibility architecture that would be perfect for dropping an F-sharp component into. How about MEF? Well, I looked at MEF quite a bit. I decided not to take a dependency on it directly, um, but certainly there are places. Uh, it wasn't clear that CSLA needed to take its own dependency on MEF, but certainly there are places where you might choose to uh use CSLA's extensibility to you and MEF combined hmm. to create dynamically loadable data access layers, uh, dynamically loadable rules or rules engines, hmm. um, and, and that works great. And so you know, I, did, I did spend some quality time with MEF. Nice. Okay. Well, yeah, I could see MEF fitting into your current app design pretty easily. You you want to create these points of uh, extensibility, and this is, I got nothing bad to say about MEF when it comes to that. Yeah, I mean, I've used it a few times on different things, and and it is really pretty nice. But I, arguably, it can make your code um, hard to follow. <laughs> you know, some, somebody walking up to your code might look at it and go, "You've got this field that mystically is populated with values, and I don't understand how or where." <laughs> oh yeah, and so now, how do I maintain this thing? Be, you know. Um, unless they understand what you did, because it's probably elsewhere, maybe in your startup code where you create the, uh, you know, your catalogs, and that might be the thing that triggers population of numerous fields across your app. Right. Um, so, in fact, one demo um, I had written, I used MEF because it made my life easier, uh-huh. and uh, I was asked to remove it because it, it was uh, deemed that the code was too couldn't nobody could follow the code ah right too obscuring it was it was less obscuring to write the reflection code myself interesting and that, and it makes sense to me because meth code is very abstract but uh but it is it, it's an interesting problem in the sense that you are so often reference code and your your project as a whole is stuff that people need to adopt they need to be able to read it yes even though reflection theoretically is less efficient at this yeah, that is interesting. That... Well, I don't know if it's less efficient. I think MEF uses the same code I wrote, more or less, behind the scenes. Right. I mean, they do some clever caching, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, ultimately, you know, they're uh, scanning through a directory, loading all the types, and, and uh, looking for the attributes. So I'm not sure it's an efficiency thing as much as, as they saved me writing half a page of code that maybe not everybody just knows how to write off the top of their head. Right. How about WIF? That one I haven't looked at yet. Um, I think that there's, it's an interesting problem space. Yes, it is. And one that needs addressing, but I really haven't put a lot of energy into it. Um, I, I do think that the, you know, the model that's built into .NET for users and roles and all that stuff really flows out of Windows and then flows all the way back probably 20 years and doesn't mirror what people do. And so the idea of having some sort of a, of a more powerful identity model um, seems like a good thing to me. Cool. And But I think the, the, the real trick is that .NET is largely based on this identity, you know, principle and identity concept, which has roles baked in. And until 
um, until the framework itself adopts some other construct, it's going to be somewhat challenging for people to just switch. Rocky, um, I'm going to ask you at the end of this show here, well, getting close to the end, this is a good time to ask, uh, and it's a question I used to ask a lot of my previous guests. Have you download what have you downloaded or bought or you know seen on the internet or seen on a phone an app that you thought was that really blew your mind recently uh well, probably two things that I've looked at recently um one is and this has been around for a while but was recently updated it's called small basic. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! We did a show on small did basic. Did a show on it, yeah. And they just did an update, and um, my younger son is uh, using it to learn how to program. Awesome! Very not cool. As, not as fast as he would like, but. <laughs> and are you working through their their study plans as well? Um, haven't really got to that. I I just got it installed on his machine, and we we're you know plinking around uh, with it, you know, just in small ways. And how old is your son? He's thirteen. Yeah, it's great. great. So he should be able to, um, you know, hopefully, you know, with, with just a little support to start. You know, that's more or less the age where I think a lot of us probably started. Yeah, absolutely. So and so he's doing the turtle thing. He's drawing on the screen, all that good stuff. Or is mm-hmm. he getting crazier than that? Yep. Have you seen the asteroids game that's yeah. been written in Small Basic? No, it's unbelievable. So the guy who created Small Basic, who works for Microsoft, works in the studio team. This is really his side project. He's got a blog, and I could probably find you the blog post, yeah. where he used Small Basic to implement classic Activision Asteroids. <laughs> and it beautiful. is stunning. It's, it's really, very cool. really gorgeous. And you can play it online, too. And doesn't it use Silverlight? To, yeah. Well, yeah. it compiles out the Silverlight. Yeah. So the other thing that I've been, uh, well, I wouldn't even say dabbling with. I, I downloaded, looked at, and thought, wow, this is on my to-do list um, to dig deeper is the uh, Raven. Uh, database. I have not looked at this. What is Raven database? Yeah. Um, Raven is a. Uh, I'm trying to find the their their actual description. It's like a document based uh, database. So it, it's a .NET managed code uh, engine, and it's not relational. It, it's uh, uh, restful. I guess is the way to put it. Really. In fact, that's the samples I've gone through. It you you talk to this you talk to the database server using a RESTful protocol. So it's a file system. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, kinda. I mean, but you can you can define and store complex structures. Okay, I think I might have found it. InfoQ Raven, a document database for .NET, a schema schemaless link enabled document data store for .NET. Yep. Wow. There you go. This is cool. That's and, cool. And that's what I thought. And uh, I, I just dug into it just briefly because you can run it as a server. Apparently, you can run it in process as well, which I haven't tried. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, so if you're just trying to basically store um, types, you know, it, it basically allows you to easily define, um, you know, some sort of a shaped entity and just stuff it in there. Right. And get it back later. It's just JSON. And it's neat, yeah. And then uh, in the, I gotta the get client a sh- library, so I, you don't even have to mess with the JSON if you don't want to. We should get them on. Uh, oh the show. no! What? Oh no! What? 
Raven was released with three licensing options, the Raven DB Community, Raven DB Commercial, Raven DB Enterprise. Both commercial editions have a monthly subscription or perpetual license. Raven was created by Hibernating Rhinos, a consultancy founded by Allende Rahim. Allende! Allende! No! Well, I guess I'm going to have to call up Allende and do another show with him. Yeah, oh, that's a shame. Dang it. You got That dude's got to stop making such cool stuff. Know, what is, is wrong with that him? Is very cool. You stop that, Oren. Stop it right now. <laughs> oh my goodness, this is so cool. It, it really is. If you, I would just walk through the first like three or four demos in their little walkthrough script, and was just totally impressed. That is awesome. Yeah. No, that's all. That's a whole other topic. I'm glad you're excited about it. Now I'm excited about yeah. it too. Hey, we have a question from i guess you call this quite this is not really a question aaron erickson in the irc channel says wanted csla implementation written in iron ruby <laughs> you got nothing better to do do you rocky you could learn ruby well i think i'll enlist aaron's help there you go he spends a lot of time on airplanes he ought to be able to put yeah. that together you should be able to figure that out in a couple of good trips to europe i think that's exactly right <laughs> What? And, in, and then on the Twitters, he's talking about making a Spanish omelet for himself while he's listening to the show. What's up with that? Obviously, <laughs> we haven't got his undivided attention. He's, he's a multitasker. Apparently. Oh, man. All right. Well, that, that was unexpectedly cool. Steve Evans says we should do this again next weekend. What do you think? Uh, I'm thinking no. No. Yeah, not, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. We had a great time, though. <laughs> yeah, we sure have. We really did. Rocky, what's next for you? Were you at uh, you were at TechEd, weren't you? I was. Yeah, we saw, I saw you there briefly. Yeah, TechEd was fun. A lot of people, a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. It was uh, one of the best TechEds in uh, the past couple, three years, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It It was nice to be in New Orleans. Boy, it was hot. It was, but it was really nice yeah. to, to be there, and you know, the food is... So amazingly good. Though. Oh, yeah. Every night on Bourbon Street, right? On or near. <laughs> <laughs> I love that I, town. I can't claim that I made it to Bourbon Street every night. Cause I'm not that young anymore. I yeah. Guess. I don't Bur- know that I would admit if I had. Bourbon Street's not even the best place. To, I mean, you know, the the place, the, the, the main hub of Bourbon Street where all the craziness goes on, that's all really, really commercial. you got to yes. go down to Lafitte's Blacksmith Shop on Bourbon if you really want to experience new orleans it's a it's a uh old uh blacksmith shop that's been converted into a bar and it's open to the street and they don't have all they have is candlelight oh i've been there not this time but i've been there in the past yeah and then jackson square yeah jackson square is wonderful that's always a great place i said i played guitar in jackson square one afternoon did you get a muffalata while you were there oh yeah yeah absolutely do you have one bub Always a muffalata, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And I'm trying to recall. There was a um, a local that sent us down to a, a place, a burger bar that you go to the very end of Bourbon. Yo Mama's, a block and a half. It was like the Port of Call or something. Oh, it wasn't Yo Mama's. No, no, this was it was something like the Port of Call, and oh, it was good. It, it was a dive, <laughs> like any good burger place would be, right? Yeah. Yep. Um. But, yeah, very good food. Yeah, and some of the best collections of bourbon I've ever seen anywhere outside of Tennessee. 
Yo Mama's has a, I think it's a, a five pound burger. Oh, jeez. It's just ridiculous. That's not good. Yeah, no, you, it, good. it looks, it's as big as a cake, <laughs> you know? And you basically share it with a bunch of people. Yeah, either that or stop your heart in one meal. Yeah, it yeah. comes with a free angioplasty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So any conferences on the immediate horizon for you, uh, Rocky? Well, in uh, November, there's a bunch. Yeah. Um, let's see what else have I got. I think there's a VS Live coming up in uh, August. Oh, yeah. Mr. Hollis was saying you two were working in, together. In Redmond. Yep. And mm-hmm. Billy and I are doing a WPF Silverlight workshop. Nice. So that'll be fun. Always fun to work with Billy. Yeah. And uh, Dev Connections in uh, November, I believe that is. Yep. So that's, yeah, usually the summers are a little slower. And I yeah. like them that way. Yeah. Now, you, did you submit for TechEd Europe? I did not. Oh, why not? Well, because uh, Connections is the first week of November, and VS Live is in Orlando the third week. And Berlin's and the second. You and Berlin's the second. So being gone three weeks in a row it probably wouldn't go over well. Uh, was she who <laughs> must be obeyed? <laughs> I, I don't know how, how else to put that. Yeah. You know? yeah. There are well, issues. Well, before we wrap up, a couple of housekeeping notes. I would like to thank Lawrence Ryan and Brandon Wen, our engineers, for uh, doing a, a great job of manning Slugging the, it out with us. Producing the show and, and editing the shows that did get edited. Thank you, guys. Woo-hoo! You guys are awesome. You could say thanks. It's okay. <laughs> All right. They're not talking. <laughs> they're so tired. They're not even talking. They're, they're tired. Yeah, they're yep. dragging. It's, it's quite all right. And also, um, we uh, had a machine blow up that uh, seriously hampered our ability ability to speak, apparently, severely hampered our ability to get the shows edited so that we could repeat them. So we will not be repeating them tonight. Sorry about that. We will be editing them and releasing them as shows, some on Tuesday, some on Thursday. We we decided some aren't Thursday shows. And what else? You better stick around because at 9.30, that's in approximately 40 minutes, 39 minutes, we're going to have some live music here in the studio. My band, Salvo, will be playing. Woohoo! So... Until then, Richard is going to be here to entertain you. Yeah, no, no I think actually, we're going to cut over to feed music for the interval here. And uh, I thank my... Because uh, we got to do a sound check. Yeah. yeah of and that means everybody would hear the sound check if Richard's mic was live. So, But Richard's got something really important to do. He's going to go visit Mark and Karen and the kids. Uh, the uh, Yeah, the, the Miller-Mangicotti clan, the children especially, because uh, I've been staying there at night. But we've been working late every day, so I've hardly any time with them at all. So there yep. was a – I'm flying out early tomorrow morning, and they asked if there was any way they could get a little time. So uh, Uncle Richard's got to pack up and rush over there and have a little cult time with the kids. Well, get ready. You might be boiling some water. And then, yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, and then who knows? Maybe uh, little Campbell Franklin Miller would decide to make an appearance because so <laughs> far he's just been hanging out. I swear to God, I thought he was going to be born during the live weekend. Yeah, no, it looked pretty close there. Uh, best – the only thing I can think of is that he's finally discovered the graffiti left behind by the previous child, and so he's busy reading, and that's why he hasn't bothered to come out. He's five uh, days late. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> he's, yeah he's still he's reading graffiti out there. That's what he's doing. <laughs> well, Rocky, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, thank you, guys. This has been a pleasure. It certainly has been a pleasure for us. And thanks to everybody who is listening, and make sure you stick around for that music. All right. 
and we'll see you in about, uh, oh, I don't know, half an hour. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a